Well, welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Let me just uh, take care of the sound there. Uh, this is such a fascinating book, the book of Judges. Uh, we opened up last week with the introduction to Judges, and I believe we just covered verse 1 of uh, chapter 1. God willing, today we'll finish chapter 1 and uh, just set our perspective for the rest of the book. Uh, I apologize in advance. Uh, this is live, and what I usually like to do is uh, record it so that we have less problems with the technology. So on Sabbath, when we were broadcasting, there just seemed to be a lot of latency. I guess with everybody uh, in quarantine, there's so many people are using video and uh, perhaps that weren't using the bandwidth before, uh, it's now being somewhat compromised. So if you are having trouble with the bandwidth, uh, this is being recorded, it will be in the archive, and you will be able to watch it uh, at, your, at your leisure. And I find the recording, regardless of what's happening in the broadcast, uh, when we review the when we review the recording, uh, it's fine. So hopefully there are no trouble. There there's no problems tonight. But again, if you are having difficulty, and not a problem. We can ensure that uh, it'll be in the archive on YouTube, on the app, and on uh, CGI or on the app, but also um, uh, YouTube and Facebook as well. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, let's get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you just so grateful. Uh, the whole world knows that we are in unprecedented times. We are in uncharted waters. Uh, and although people know that there's something wrong, that they don't know what's coming next, Father, we can have great assurance because we understand your word. And with there's just such richness in your word, Father, and such insight we just hunger and thirst for this understanding. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to keep digging deeper and deeper uh, so that we can have this assurance and confidence in Christ as we walk in a very dark and uncertain time. We praise you, Father. We thank you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So we will get into the study uh, for tonight. And we did open up with some introductory material uh, last week. I, I don't want to go back over that material, but I do want to cover a little bit more context as we get into Judges. It's just uh, so powerful. And I think if you haven't done uh, Second Isaiah, that's in the archive. I think it'll be very helpful as we go through Judges that you remember uh, and recall the prophecies in Isaiah, because it all just weaves together beautifully, and it will give us a great understanding of the situation that we face today. I want to start in Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy 32, and we actually reference this because Isaiah references this in his prophecies. So we had covered this when we studied Isaiah, but I do want to uh, cover it today. And he just says, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. You are waxen fat, Jeshurun being uh, a name for Israel in, in their glory. Uh, you are waxen fat. Uh, you have grown thick. You are covered with fatness, so they've just been blessed. And this is uh, Moses prophesying of the future of Israel. But he says, in this time of glory, he says, Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. So Moses is seeing all of this as a prophet of God, looking into the future of Israel. And he sees Israel, he, he said in Deuteronomy 30, When all these blessings and curses have come upon you, so, so Israel will be blessed, but then they'll also be cursed because they're not going to be faithful to the covenant. He says, um, they forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. 
they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. This is Moses seeing the future of Israel. They're going to mix themselves up with strange gods. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat you, you are unmindful and have forgotten God that formed you. This is the prophet Moses. Dropping down, continuing verse 19. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. This is Israel. This is the covenant people, the special relationship, the peculiar people that God has carved out for himself in this special marital relationship that he's in with them. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. So again, in Isaiah, he talks about the God who hides himself. Well, here it is. Moses, this is what God says, okay, uh, you reject me, you esteem me lightly, okay, I'll hide myself, and I will see what their end shall be. For they are very froward, they are a very froward or, or corrupt generation, children in whom is no faith. Moses can see it, or foresee it. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And again, if we combine this with Deuteronomy 30, this is going to be their scattering. But then in that scattering, God does not forget the covenant. He uses that to drive them to a true wholehearted repentance so that he can bring them back and have the true relationship with them that he always wanted. He goes on to say, <clears throat> so he's going to provoke them. Verse 39, see now that I, even I am he. And so Isaiah repeats this. It's repeated in Revelation. There's only one God. And, and what's happening in the earth today, and we're going through clearly the whole world, understands that the, 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 we're, we're in uncertainty, that the, the page has turned. And whatever, there's, there's a discontinuity with the past. Whatever has governed us in the past, whatever guideposts we have in the past, they're all out the window. And everything is up for grabs now. In this, this, there's, a, there's a reconfiguration. And certainly those who have always been seeking global domination, they're not going to let a crisis like this go to waste. So you're going to see this global cabal, this global cult, taking advantage globally through all the different nations of opportunities to begin to exert their muscle and begin to dominate. Uh, but what all of this is happening according to a script. It's all happening according to a script so that Israel can be punished severely in order to be driven to true repentance. And then we read last week that Israel will be God's witnesses, that nobody's going to understand how, how it is we came to this point when God returns. And then God will call forth his people and say, you're my witnesses. You explain to the nations why you're here in, 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 in humiliation, that if I did not come and save you, you would be completely destroyed. Explain to these nations what is going on. You're my witnesses. So he says to them here, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. So, so why are you going to these other gods? I kill, and I make alive. 
So everything that's happening, and again, as we're going through this period of uncertainty, uh, we see China unleashing this Wuhan virus on the world, and, and all of this suffering around the world, China being totally culpable for this, and yet nobody, or well, I shouldn't say nobody, very few calling out China because they're part of this global cult. In fact, they're praising China. Look how wonderful China is doing. And then they're condemning America. This is, this is amazing. But all of this is God who's saying, he's the one that does this. There's no God with him. He, this is all according to his pattern. He kills and he makes alive. And part of that is he kills Israel and he protects Israel. He kills Israel and he brings Israel back to life, but also Israel's enemies. He's the one that orchestrates this. I wound and I heal. So he wounds to drive Israel to repentance so that he can heal her and have that special relationship with her, that special union. And they will be his witnesses. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Sounds like Habakkuk. Verse 43. Rejoice, O you nations, with his people. So again, this is the, the fact that God has chosen a people drives the world crazy. This, you know, there's, there's an envy in the Gentiles. And there's a spirit of superiority in Israel and Judah. And it's all human nature. There should be humility across the board. The Gentiles should be grateful that there's light on the earth, the light of God in Israel. And Israelites should be grateful that through no merit of their own, Israel has been chosen to be the light and the glory of God to the world. So rejoice, O you nations, with his people, you nations that have been trying to destroy his people, that's over now. Now it's time for you to rejoice. Rejoice, O you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. So he's sending his servants constantly to, to teach this, and they are constantly being put to death, and God is going to avenge that, and will render vengeance to his adversaries, the Gentile nations, and will be merciful unto his land. So Moses sees this. This is God's chosen people on the promised land. And in the end... He's going to avenge the blood of his servants, which is Israel. He's going to render vengeance on his adversaries, which are the Gentiles. And he's going to be merciful, not only to his land, but also to his people. So Moses is clear. You people are corrupt. You people are evil. You have disrespected your God. But your God is faithful. And he's going to be merciful to his land. And to, he's going to gather all his people and put them back in the land. That's what's happening. Now, before we go into Joshua, let's go back over to Deuteronomy 7. This is the instruction. For you, this is Moses telling the people as they're going into the promised land, for you are a holy people. You have been chosen. You've been set aside for a special purpose. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself, the God of the universe, the creator of humanity, who made humanity in his image and likeness, who promised in the, in the prophecy in the garden to Eve that the seed will come and redeem mankind. Well, this is the plan, how he's going to do it, through Israel. He says, he's chosen you to be a special people. Why? Because of Genesis 3. You're, you're the mechanism. Abraham's seed is the mechanism through which he will save the world. He has chosen you to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. This is God's doing. This is God's plan and design. And he says, 
he 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 declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done saying my plans shall stand it doesn't matter there's nobody that can frustrate his plans and so he's chosen these people to be a special people above everybody else so there's israel and there's everybody else and israel is to be a peculiar nation above everybody else the lord did not set his what his love god has set his love upon these people this is that's why we have the marriage union so that we can understand in, in, in to begin to scratch the surface of the profound love that god has the covenant love that god has for his people he says the lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people that's not why it's not because you were some majestic people and all let's use you because you're power more powerful than everybody else no you were the fewest of all people you were slaves the egyptians had you bound hand and foot you were going nowhere and that's when god chose you or that that's when god um, pulled you out to make you a nation he says you were the fewest or the least of all people this is why but because the lord loved you he's in this covenant with you and because he not you he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers that's has the lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of pharaoh king of egypt so we saw last week that god gave mount seir esau and jacob were brothers and he gave mount seir to esau and then he sent jacob into egypt where jacob would be enslaved to fulfill the prophecy to abraham and then in the moment of depth of, of uh, humiliation and degradation god pulls them out of that to establish them as the head nation the nation to be above all people on the earth verse 16 deuteronomy 7 and listen now so so he's chosen you he's made you this nation He's, he's taking you, you're going into the promised land now. Here is the instruction. I remember last week what I said. God has the right to punish his creation. And he did that with the flood. And the flood is, it was, was merciless. It just went in and just destroyed. And only eight people survived that. But that's God's right. He wanted to start over. These people that occupy this land that Moses is telling the children of Israel to go in. It's, it's the land that's been promised to you. These children of Israel are like a flood. And they are to go in and destroy these people. Why? Because they are children of that filthy man named Canaan. And their whole nation is began with the corruption and the lewdness of mind of Canaan. And, and the whole culture was lewd and, and, and violent and horrible. And God's like, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to wipe these people out. And now I'm going to bring my people in and establish righteousness. And the whole earth will learn from this righteousness. Ultimately, these same people that are wiped out will be resurrected. We go to Revelation chapter 20. And they will be resurrected and they will be taught. And they will have the opportunity to choose a clean life or to continue in their filth. But here's the flood. He says, you shall destroy all the people. How many people? What, what percentage of people? You shall destroy all the people 
which the Lord your God shall deliver you. Your eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto you. So how many people should be destroyed? Everybody. And how much pity should they have upon these people? None. And, and should they entangle themselves in their gods? No, that'll be a snare. If you shall say in your heart, these nations are bigger than me, they're, they're more than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Lord your God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. So that the nation began with God's mighty hand, pulling them out of the, the, the bondage, the stronghold of Egypt. That's how they began. And now as they go into the promised land and they face these mighty nations, they're not to look, the fact that they're small and the fact that these nations are powerful and well-established, they're not to look at that and say, how are we going to do this? Instead, they're to look at what the miracle that God performed in bringing them out of the stronghold of Egypt and establishing them as a people. That's what they're to remember and to know that God is with them and God wants these people removed from the land. Verse 21, you shall not be afraid of them. Why shouldn't they be afraid? Because the Lord your God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. Verse 24, and he shall deliver their kings, these mighty nations, he shall deliver their kings into your hand. And what shall you do when he, when he delivers their king into your hands? What should you do? And you shall destroy their name from under heaven. They should no longer exist. There shall no man be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. So that's the context. And then really, you know, we should have gone through Joshua uh, to see how Moses hands over the leadership to Joshua. What a valiant and courageous leader Joshua was. He's helping them clear the land. He understands from Moses what part of the promised land should be assigned to uh, which tribes. And so all of that now we come, Joshua dies. So Moses dies, Joshua dies, and then we come into Judges. Judges 1 and verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So last week in the chat afterwards, JD asked the question or made the statement, I think it was a question actually, um, if Moses chose Joshua as his successor, why is there no, there's a leadership crisis here. Why, why didn't Joshua have a successor? And I think it's, it's a great question and it's worth meditating on. Um, my sense is that from all the promises from Moses, the understanding of what Moses said, that they're going to go into the promised land, nobody's going to stand before them. I believe, and they were to do it gradually. They were not just going to conquer everybody at once, but tribe by tribe, and so that way they don't get overtaken by wild beasts. Uh, that's all in um, Joshua uh, and in Numbers. So when they go in, uh, I think when Joshua went into the land, I, I think he probably thought within 10 years, uh, certainly within his lifetime, all of this would be done. And then the nations would, would, would exist as this, this uh, confederation of states. But obviously, Joshua didn't finish the job. And then he died. And he did not groom a successor. And so now, they're asking, who shall go up for us to fight against them? And that's how the book begins. And there is a sense of, um, there's still this strong relationship with Jehovah. Uh, by the end of the book, and I showed that last week, 
They're asking the same question, but this time is to destroy one of the tribes. They have now turned on the tribe of Benjamin because of the filth of Benjamin, that Benjamin, well, you know, the whole story of Judges is the unfaithfulness of Israel, that they, they do the opposite of what they were told to do. Instead of destroying the people and getting rid of their influence, they actually coexist with them. And instead of being influential and turning them to righteousness, they allow the Canaanites to influence them and turn them to the filth of Canaan. So they ask, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. So as they now move in, the person who, or the tribe that gets the greatest honor to go first is Judah. And that really aligns with Genesis, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, blessing of Israel. In Genesis 49, 8, he says, Judah, you are he whom your brethren shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. So there's a leadership role for Judah, and God is remaining faithful to the promises given by the forefathers. And sorry, this is uh, this is this is uh, should be Judges. Uh, give me one second just to correct this. Judges, right here. J U D could be Jude or could be Judges. Uh, so I took it as Jude. So. Uh, continuing now in verse 3. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into your lot. So Simeon went with him. So the promised land has already been divided. They have to go and claim it. So there's, a, there's an allotment for Judah, and you'll see here in Joshua, when Joshua is giving them the allotments, uh, 19 verse 1, and the second lot came forth to Simeon, even for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their family. So the land was uh, apportioned by lot, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. So Judah is a very big tribe, Simeon is a smaller tribe, but you can see that they're, they're adjacent and they're within, they're within uh, the inheritance of Judah. And these are brothers. They're both uh, children of uh, Leah. So they, they have a kinship, and they're going to now, Judah saying, come with me, help me get my land, and then once we've established my land, then our tribe will go with your tribe to get your land. So as brothers, that makes sense. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites. So this is the process of them going into the promised land and claiming it, and this is exactly what the Lord said he would do. And the Lord delivered the Canaanites, and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. It's a big army. And here, here is just uh, two of the tribes, Judah and Simeon, going in and just slaughtering these people according to the commandment, according to the instruction of Moses and Joshua. That's what they're doing. They're clearing out the land of these very evil people. So, so they go in and they slay uh, in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek. So Adonai, the, the lord of Bezek, the king in Bezek, they found him. And they fought against him. And God says, I'm going to deliver kings into your hands. And they fought against him. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. And they pursued after him and caught him. 
And and what are they supposed to do when they when they catch these kings? Destroy them. But they didn't do that. There's a custom. And so here's what they did. They cut off his thumbs and his great toes. So that's a pretty brutal uh, punishment for this king. But that was the, the custom within the land. And so uh, Adana Bezek said, 70 kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. And I just pause here for a minute because I think... Uh, the next assembly that I go to, I suppose maybe two or three years ago, I just sort of noticed this, where I go, I think it was my, my son's uh, graduation was the first time I noticed it. We're in the assembly, and before they begin, they're like, uh, we want to take this moment to acknowledge that we are occupying the lands of such and such a tribe. That's the first time I heard that. I thought, that's odd. And then not once, but twice, just kept hearing this. We just want to take a moment to acknowledge that we are occupying the land of such and such a tribe. And, and then the notion is that these people were just so holy and so righteous and so wonderful and lived in such peace and harmony. Listen, if you don't have the God of Israel as your God, then you have Satan as your God and the influence of Satan. And all of these uh, sort of uh, uh, people, these, uh, I forget the word I'm looking for, the, the uh, in, people inheriting the land, uh, the um, First Nations, call them First Nations, there's a word I'm looking for that just escapes me. Uh, all of these First Nations, they were violent people. They were in, in every nation, in every uh, continent, enslaving one another, violently take, overthrowing one another, expanding their territory by uh, capturing the other, the other people, capturing wives for themselves. That was the nature of mankind. So this notion that, oh, you know, before we came to whatever land it was, that these people just lived so peacefully and they were just so loving and kind, false narrative, false narrative. And here we have indigenous, that's the word I was looking for. So here we have the indigenous people. They're just a violent, brutal and, and immoral people. And the man now, now that it's happened to him, he acknowledges, you know what? I've just gone and I've just conquered all these kings and then I would drag them back and I would chop off their 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 uh, thumbs. I would chop off their uh, thumbs and their big toes. And they had to beg. They couldn't. They were they were disabled. They had to beg under my table. And now he says, as I have done, so God has requited me. Now that's his perspective. I, I don't think that's Jehovah's perspective. This is pretty brutal. Uh, torturous way of dealing with the, this, this, these, these kings. God just said to Judah, uh, to Israel, go in and kill them and have no mercy. But this is in a way a form of mercy. They let him live. They let him live. And that was not the instruction. As I have done, so God has requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, that they being his people. So, so he, he lived, his people brought him back to Jerusalem. And there he died. He should have died at the hands of Judah. They should have carried out the instruction, have no mercy, show no pity, clean these people out of the land. But they did, in a sense, show mercy. And he acknowledged, I've, I've, this, this is fair. I did this to so many, now it's happened to me. These people take him back to Jerusalem before Israel or Judah took possession of it. And that's where he died. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and had taken it and smitten it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. So they're going in and they're taking the land. And afterwards, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites. 
that dwell in the mountain and in the south. So they're, they're just moving further down. Remember, this is the southern kingdom, so they're conquering the, the southern part of the land and in the valley. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron before was Kerjatharba. Kerjatharba. So this is, of course, the land that uh, David will choose, Hebron, uh, to live. But this is at the time it was called Kerjatharba. And they slew Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. And from there he went against the inhabitants of Deber. And the name of Deber before was Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smites Kerjath Sefer and, and takes it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, we're going to learn more about Othniel, his first judge. Othniel, the son of Kinas, Caleb's younger brother, so it's his nephew, took it. And he gave him Aksha, his daughter, to wife. So here's the first marriage that we read of as they go into the land, as we begin here in Judges. And it's marriage according to covenant. As we start, as we go further now, we're going to start seeing the, the very thing they were told not to do. We're going to see them do it. They're going to start taking wives from, from the Canaanites, from the people of the land. So here we see that... Uh, let me just close this. <clears throat> and Caleb said, uh, I'll give Aksa my daughter to wife. And then Caleb's younger brother took it. And so he gave his daughter to wife. And it came to pass when she came to him that she moved him to, she moved him to ask her father a field. And she lighted off from her donkey. And Caleb said unto her, what would you like? And she said unto him, give me a blessing. For you have given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. So we can see here, this is a very auspicious start, wonderful start. They're taking the land. Uh, this woman, she, the, the one, Othniel's wife, hey, great that you've given us land. Can we have some springs of water as well? Sure, take this land. This is exactly according to the plan of God. And the children of Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of the palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south of Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. So now we have Moses' father-in-law, the Kenites, uh, they're now going with Judah, and that makes sense. If we go back to Numbers, Numbers 10, verse 29, Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come you with us, and we will do you good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I beg you. For as much as you know how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and you may be to us instead of eyes. So you can, you can help us, and it shall be... If you go with us, yes, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto you. So you see, as they start off, they're being faithful to the covenant, they're being faithful to the instructions of Moses, and so now the children of Moses' father-in-law that went with Judah, they're, they're being blessed the same way Judah was being blessed. Verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, 
and they slew the Canaanites. So, so first Simeon helps Judah, Simeon helps Judah, then Judah helps Simeon. And Judah went with Simeon and his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. That's right. That's the instruction. So they go in and they utterly destroy it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza. That's the same Gaza we hear about today. Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof and Ascalon. And so again, the indigenous people, people want to say, you know, this is our land. We're indigenous to the land. You condemn yourself. You condemn yourself as, as children of Canaanites, the corrupt Canaan and the filth of Canaan. And you want to brag that you're the original Canaanites? You condemn yourself. And Judah also, also Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ascalon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain. Now we start to see a problem. So Judah's following everything, but now it says here, we expect that if the Lord is with Judah, we expect great success, but we saw a bit of compromise with uh, the, 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 the Adonai Bezek, uh, letting him go. And now we're starting to see some problems here. The Lord is with Judah, so we expect success. And he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Well, really, that's nothing. God, God didn't know they had chariots of iron? God says, whenever you face it, just remember what I did with Egypt and just go forward. But now they see this strength of iron, uh, new technology at the time, and they, they can't handle it. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said. So again, they're doing their best to be faithful to the instruction. And he expelled there the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin, okay, let's continue now. So that was Judah and Simeon. Now let's continue with Benjamin. And the children of Benjamin, what, did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. This is, this is, well, what is this? They didn't drive them out. The, the instruction was very clear. You're to go into the land and you're to take, you're to take it piecemeal, bit by bit, but show no mercy, I'm with you. Here now, Benjamin is pursuing their land. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Now, as we go deeper into Judges, Benjamin is going to become a real problem of corruption. That it's going to be, you know, uh, PG, at least, maybe even restricted, that you might not want your children listening when we get into some of the things that happen in, in, in Benjamin's land. But here's the seed of it. These people are filthy. These people are corrupt. They are descendants of Canaan. There's a curse on Canaan. And God says here, just, just don't, the, the, the way this nation started is in corruption. So just please, don't have anything to do with them. And yet, he says here that they dwell with them to this day. Okay? God says that's the opposite. That's not what you should do. And the house of Joseph, so now we go to the north, Joseph, they also went up against Bethel 
and the Lord was with them. Okay, so we expect good success if the Lord is with them. There's an expectation here. They've got to follow the instructions. And the house of Joseph went to describe Bethel. Well, this is uh, Old English. They went to spy on Bethel. They just wanted to kind of get the lay of the land. Now, the name of the city before was Luz. So it's Bethel, Bethel, so house of God. Now it's, it was before called Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city. So the spies go out to sort of see what's the landscape here. They see a man come forth out of the city. And they said unto him, show us, we beg you, the entrance into the city. How, how do we penetrate the city? And what? And what? Show us, we beg you, the entrance into the city, and we will show you mercy. We're going to negotiate a deal with you? Quid pro quo? You do this for us and we'll do this for you? That's the exact opposite of the instruction from Moses. You're to make no agreements with them. You are to go in and utterly destroy them. And so here's Joseph, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, going in and negotiating. You show us the entrance. So instead of so the Lord is with them. Instead of depending entirely upon the Lord, they're negotiating with the people of the land. So if you do this for us, we will show you mercy. I don't know where, that's the opposite of what Moses said. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, what did they do? They smote the city with the edge of the sword. Good. But, uh-oh. So whenever you see but, it means you can negate everything that came before. It's big, now focus on what comes after the but, because whatever came before, it's out the window. So it says here, they smote the city with the edge of the sword. Good. But, oh well. They let go the man and all his family. They showed mercy. This is not the instruction of Moses. And the man went into the land of the Hittites. So he escaped with his family. He went into the land of the Hittites. And what did he do? He built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. So at the time of writing, and we believe this was written by Samuel, there's good reason to believe it was written by Samuel for Saul. So, you know, sort of the maybe 1,300 to 1,000 BC in that time period. Uh, but at the time of writing, these people should have been cleared out. But Israel is dwelling with them to this day. Neither, says, <clears throat> neither did Manasseh, uh-oh, so we've got Ephraim and Manasseh. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshin and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor. This is how Judges begins. The, the people are already unfaithful. This is the time for them to go in and seize the land. God is with them. God wants to drive these people out of the land. He wants to give these people the land. He wants to establish them as his peculiar people. And he wants to use them as the jumping off point to bring the rest of the world into redemption. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshin and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ablim and her towns. What's going on here? This is, what is this? Nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. This is a disaster. 
This is a disaster. The Canaanites would dwell in that land. What a disaster. This is, Moses foresaw all of this. And it came to pass, when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute. What? So they were in forced labor. They made the Canaanites slaves. I guess they, and they probably learned a lot about that from Egypt. But that wasn't the instruction. The instruction was to completely... They were strong. And the instruction was to wipe them out. To cleanse the land. This is a purge. And instead of purging them, they enslaved them and they dwelled with them. And did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. But these are big tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. But the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive this is a disaster. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalol, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. They became servants, so forced labor. So there's the, the whole culture that began with Ham and Canaan, that God says, wipe these people, they, these people are horrible, clean them out. That culture now coexists with Israel. And Israel is now going to be influenced. The very thing that Moses said, don't do this, actually God said it, don't mix with them. They're going to mix with them, they're going to be corrupted. So now we come to Zebulun, he didn't drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Ahlab, nor Aksib, nor of Helba, I, I think we're getting the picture here, nor of Afik, nor of Rehob, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. And you know, this is where people always think they have a better idea than God. And even today, among us, we have Christians, that the law is very clear, but there's parts of God's law which appear harsh to, to the natural man. And so because it appears harsh, we want to compromise, we want to soften it, want to apologize for God, and we want to come up with a better idea than God. We want to be more righteous than God. Instead of just doing what God says. That's, we must do what God says and be faithful to the text. But no, we're just like the ancient Israelites. We're just like them. We got a bit, we're more righteous than God. So they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali. So after you can see this kind of contagion as well. Like, hey, you kind of look around you. What are your What are your colleagues doing? And you end up doing the same thing as them. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants the inhabitants of Beth Thanath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, the very people that God said go in and wipe them out. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth. Shemesh and of Bethanath became tributaries unto them. So there's this ongoing relationship now. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain. They're supposed to just go in and conquer these people. But instead, they're having to retreat. The Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them 
to come down to the valley. They wouldn't allow it. God, God says, when you see these people, these powerful people, don't think about their power. Think about my power. Think about how you were established as a nation. Think about how powerful Egypt was. None of these nations are as powerful as Egypt. And think about what I did to Egypt. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shalbim, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. And again, that wasn't the plan. So they're strong, but they're not carrying out the plan. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up of Akrabim from the rock and upward. So that is how the uh, that is how Judges begins. So this is this is how these peculiar people have been chosen by God as they go into the land. This is how uh, the whole project begins with this uh, great failure uh, of of Israel uh, to the covenant. Now, by the end of the book, by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, there's only one conclusion we can come to, and that is Israel is a complete failure. The project is a failure. These people are a failure. It's over. It should be. And yet, even though this is how the, 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 the story begins, we have this whole history of Israel. From that time of the judges right up to today, God has not forgotten Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean all 12 tribes, not just the, the Jews who are in what the land that we call Israel today. Uh, that's just one, I shouldn't say one tribe, it's you know, Judah with Judah, Benjamin, probably have Simeon mixed up in there and a little bit of Levi, but the Jews, the, the southern nation, the southern tribes. The, these northern tribes are also part of Israel. They're also part of this covenant. And everything is in the Torah, that this covenant is eternal. And God's plan for this people will not be frustrated. And Moses told the very people, this, these curses are going to come upon you because of your unfaithfulness, but God's blessing is going to come upon the very same people. These, the descendants of these people and these very same people are going to be resurrected. And God's word is God's word. It can, he cannot lie. And now we have this whole overlay of what God is doing with the first fruits and how he's grafted Gentiles into Israel. But it's still Israel. And all of that we covered in detail in Isaiah. So if you need a refresher, I would encourage you to go back over what we studied in Isaiah. If you haven't studied Isaiah with us, I encourage you to go into the archive and, and, and study Isaiah. Because it will just make so much sense when we have that overlay of Isaiah's prophecy, which is like a mini Bible. Uh, the whole Bible is in Isaiah. It'll make so much sense. So let's stop there. That's Judges 1. We've, we're well into the book now. And then God willing, next week we'll continue with Judges chapter 2. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our Savior, our Redeemer, and he's faithful to his word. We can have confidence, no matter how dark, no matter how uncertain the times are around us, he is our rock. God bless.